0: Today in this message series we started a few weeks ago in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. It's one of the letters uh, of Paul. And if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to start looking for that. It's after you know you get to Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and Galatians. That's right there. Uh, whether you're online, whether you're in a paper Bible, I invite you to find Galatians chapter two. Keep in mind the the, the big numbers of the chapters, the small numbers of the verses, and sometimes you'll see in the, in the screen notes, you'll, you'll see like it'll say Galatians 2, 3b. That just means it's the second half of that verse. It's just a way of helping us navigate around the scriptures. And, um, Something that we, we uh, got have gotten out of the habit a little bit, but I want to do this today. Let's stand together if we're able for the reading of God's word out of respect for what the Lord has for us this morning. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 2, right from verse 1 through verse 10. And I read from the New Living Translation, but uh, there's uh, not many bad translations out there. So whatever you're following in, let's let's go. Ready? So then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem and this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along, too. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me. And did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. So Titus is a Gentile convert, and his other friend Barnabas was a Jewish believer in Jesus. Verse 4, even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Verse six, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me for God has no favorites. And instead they saw that Uh, God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Verse 8, For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. Let's be seated together. Certainly, there's good examples of Paul later on in his ministry of inspiring uh, generosity toward uh, the poor, especially when the uh, church in Jerusalem was under a famine and they were really struggling and he collected offerings from all these other churches and brought the money to support the church in Jerusalem. All right. This might seem like, you know, a personal entry from Paul's travel journal He's like, I went here. Here's the summary. I went there. I took some friends. We had some meetings. All good. That's, that's kind of the summary of that passage. Um, in, 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 but there's more to it, and there's some good stuff in here. And so I want to recap where we've been, how we got to where we are right now. We started this letter understanding that every believer is called by God to represent God in this world. That's the calling on each of our lives. Paul uses the word apostle, one who has been sent out. And, and then we reminded ourselves that the gospel is God's amazing free gift, of salvation to everyone who would believe in Him. That's the, that's the gospel, the good news. And then we face the truth that we won't, you know, fully grasp the goodness of God until we've had a grace revelation. A grace revelation. Now that, especially that last point, how do I know I've had a grace revelation? Here it is. You'll know you've had a revelation of God's grace when these two th- things become a true you know, a true reality in your life. First, you recognize that you have a need for forgiveness and restoration or reconciliation in your life. A deep spiritual need. When you recognize, I have a spiritual need that I cannot resolve myself. That's the first step. The second step is when you have, you know, received God's rescuing love in your life. Those are the two steps. When you've gotten to those two places, hey, I desperately need God and be I've received God's rescuing love for forgiveness and new life. You'll know you've had a revelation. God's grace has been revealed to you. Now, remember earlier that the apostle had shared his testimony that, you know, he talked about following his conversion. He had a quick meeting in Jerusalem. Then he, he went to Arabia. He kind of went out in the desert kind of was beginning to just develop his his understanding and his relationship with God. He had some personal encounters with Jesus in that time. He was quietly moving along, went to Damascus, the city where he was converted, actually. I had a little time in Damascus. Then he went uh, to some provinces in what today would be Turkey. But um, he went to Galatia, where these churches are. He went to Cilicia, which was his home province, where the city of Tarsus was, is where he's from. But all the time he's doing that, he's teaching. It is he was. We know that he was teaching. He was preaching. He was studying. But he was doing that really out of the limelight. He's not a major player at that point. And it's not until this passage today that Paul kind of emerges onto the ministry platform. And you can read sort of the parallel account of this in Acts chapter nine. If you're tracking with me in the R and R journal, you will have read Acts nine this week. And 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 the 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 friend Luke kind of recounts this, but he does it a little bit differently. And so you kind of have to think through, okay, how do they kind of track time and and figure it all out? But um, it's also verified there. Here's the key. Here's the point I want to drive home on this is that Paul never pushed himself to the stage. He he respected the lines of authority that were there so as to get an endorsement um, from the right people. While also seeking to please God and not sort of appease people or not like pander to people. So he's like, I'm here to please God, but I'm also going to do this in a way that's respectful to the people in authority. And so he understood there's no shortcut to legitimacy, to doing things right. You, you do have to go through the right steps. And Peter, with James and John, they made this remarkable move um, by supporting and encouraging this very different ministry that Paul had, right? This ministry to the Gentiles and, of course, Paul's companions. And I would say that's great leadership on, on Peter's part, keeping in mind that, you know, Peter was really the leader of the apostles. Uh, James, that we're talking about, is actually the brother of Jesus, not the brother of John uh, and John the apostle. But we've got this good leadership from these these church leaders. And I think it's worth noting this. Strong leaders increase freedom. And weak leaders restrict freedom. Now, I'm not talking about a free-for-all. I'm not talking about not disciplining your kids, just letting them do whatever you want. If you've got little kids or grandkids, whatever. But there's this thing of a good, strong leader finds ways to make room for people to flourish and grow. They increase freedom. They Add responsibility, but they also add authority to that responsibility. Those things always have to go together. You can't just give people more responsibility, but not give them the authority to make decisions about those things for which they're responsible. And good leaders will do that. That's freedom, and an unhealthy or a weak leader will hold, restrict, and and kind of bottleneck all that stuff. And every leader struggles with with you know the right balance in that. But Peter, James, John, they wisely empowered Paul and his company for those for that ministry. Now, just a comment on timing. I figure the apostle—I mean uh, that Peter and his companions—had to be somewhere between. I'm going to say 40 to 55 uh, years of age at this point, uh, assuming they were, let's say, 20 to 35 when they were started to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus for a few years. Uh, at the point of the of the you know the resurrection is about 20 years prior to this episode here, or close to it, and so. Uh, Here's my point that that Peter, James, John, they're at a crucial life stage in their ministry where they need to be releasing ministry to others. Not not only to younger people, but just a a, a wider releasing of their ministry. And I I mention this because sometimes people hang on too long, whether it's in an education setting, whether it's in church, whether it's in business marketplace, you name it. It happens all the time. You might have a good leader. You might be that good leader, whatever. We've all been there. There's that good leader and they, they don't hand off because everything's going so well. And there's success and it's flourishing and they know what they're doing and it's it's just second nature and they can do this stuff and they're you know with one hand tied behind their back, it's no problem. But the problem is they're not empowering, they're not releasing that leadership or responsibility. And then when it is time to pass the baton, they don't have the energy left to develop another leader, develop someone behind them and then it creates some chaos in the organization. And so here's here's what I'm saying. Those of us over fifty, which is me and many of us in this room, those of us over 50, we, you know, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your community organization, whether it's here in church, wherever it is, we ought to be, ought to be actively seeking to pass the torch to others. We move from really being, you know, the quarterback in that situation to, to the coach. Where we let others call the plays, where we let others move the ball down the field, even though we're still very supportive and still maybe on the team in some other way. But, but that's an important shift that happens at this life stage. And, and that's how churches will flourish and thrive. That's how your business flourishes and thrives. That's how an education, all those, all those things. All that to say, it's not really what I came to talk about today. Okay. I want to take it back to what we're talking. We're talking today about being led by grace. Led by the grace of God. And I want to take you back to verse 2. Look what he says. Right at the beginning of verse 2. Paul says this. I went to Jerusalem because God revealed to me that I should go. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. It doesn't tell us how it was revealed. He just had this sense from God that he was to go. So he was led by God. I would say he was led by grace. Paul was led by grace to Jerusalem. He was led by grace to meet with the church leaders. He was led by grace to defend his passion for the gospel. And so we're going to say this, Paul was led by grace to place, to people, and to passion. Those are the three things I want to talk about. Led by grace to place, people, and passion. 14 years had elapsed since he'd been back To the center of Jewish religion. Uh, Keep in mind, Paul had been a Pharisee, so Jerusalem would have been a comfortable place for him. He would have known the the temple complex well, he would have had known people there, he would have like, you know, known where the good coffee is, he would have known where the, you know, the good falafels were, like he would have known all the places. That would have been his, like, oh man, I love going back to Jerusalem. 14 years had, had elapsed in that time. Think about this. Where were you? What were you doing 2006, 2007? That's that's 14 years, right? Did I do, do that right? And the, the, like, just think back. You can say, maybe turn to the person, if you're sitting with somebody, just say, 14 years ago, what was going on in your life? You, you can do that. A friend, on, if you're watching online, if you've got somebody there with you, just tell them, yeah, 14 years ago, we were doing, right? 14 years ago, Becky and I, we were in limbo waiting for immigration paperwork to get processed. We were living in another country. We were waiting to move to California. And uh, we were just in the living the patience of bureaucracy. Let's put it that way. All very nice people, but in bureauc- bureaucratic situations, uh Part A never knows what part B is doing and you somehow have to get to the two of them together and get it figured out. That was our life 14 years ago. That feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like a long time ago. And that's the impossible. 14 years later, I go back to Jerusalem. So, you know, his favorite coffee shop is now a pizza restaurant. Like things have changed, right? Paul was led by grace to place. See, we may not realize it, but God is or God desires to be active in your life. Very often you look, it's not until you look way back, you say, well, this happened and then this happened and this happened. We were with some friends yesterday. We're talking about kind of life experiences. And it's so often in hindsight, you say, wow, God arranged that and took me out of this spot and led me over to here and. It's amazing how when you look back so often. And and I wonder, can you see where God has led you to place? Maybe it was a move to a new city or a new job or a new track in education. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was a move that God prevented. I shared in the first service that when I was in, uh, Becky and I were, I was in my last semester of seminary and we were invited to to meet with a church in Phoenix, Arizona to see about being their music minister. And just before we went, Becky had had this dream that we didn't really understand about. It was a very kind of vivid, specific dream. And as we were flying into Phoenix, we're just landing at the airport there, and, and uh, she looks out the window and she goes, Oh, this is my dream. We're not supposed to be here. And, uh, you know, it had been one of those kind of foreboding dreams, like, don't go. And sure enough, I'm like, I think you're right. Like we're not supposed to be here. And we're walking through the airport to meet the pastor, you know, to about to interview to this with this church. And we're like, we just want to turn around get back on the plane and fly home. And it was the longest weekend of our lives. Wonderful people. We had a great time, but we're like, we're not supposed to be here. We knew we were being led by God. Sometimes you're led to not go to a place, not take that job, not do that new thing, whatever it is. God leads in our lives and you're led by God's grace to place. And I'm sure Paul would love to have been, you know, made a trip to Jerusalem a lot sooner as we, for all the reasons we talked about. You know, you think about uh, some of you, you know, annual pass holders at Disney. You're like, you're longing to go back to Disney, right? You just wish you could go there and you can't, it's not the time. It's not going to happen for a while. I mean, that, That's Paul like, ah, oh, I just would love to go back there. But he had to be patient and wait for God's leading in that. And you, you may, you know, you may be looking for something, anxious to make a move, anxious for something to develop, change, shift, whatever in your life. and And you've got to be patient for his timing. But here's the thing. When God does give the green light, you got to get off your backside and get moving, take action. Get on it. Uh, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, let's say that you feel led by God into a new business, some some new venture, some something like that. Okay, great. You can't just say there and say, well, God's led me to do this thing. He's going to do all the work. No, God led you to it. Now you do the work of building connections, uh, developing a strategy, making contacts, improving relationships, uh, fi- finalizing your plans, all those things so you can be successful at it. And, and that illustrates... Paul's next move, he was led by grace to people. Led by God's grace to people. What I mean by that, well this was an active trip, wasn't it? Paul sought out, you know, with his companions, with Titus and and Barnabas, he sought out the local church leaders in jerusalem for first for some private meetings and and here's this thing paul did not just barge into jerusalem and say well god led me here i'm just going to start preaching i'm just going to go public and do my thing i don't really care what those guys say because you know they can't tell me what to do god led me here and i'm gonna no Paul's first stop was going to those other leaders at because he respected their authority. He understood that there was they had been placed there by God, and he sought their endorsement and their affirmation. He was actually also checking, hey, I just want to check with you guys, make sure that what I'm teaching lines up with you guys who walked with Jesus for years. I want to make sure that I'm teaching the right stuff here. All that's what was happening, because Paul was seeking cooperation, not competition. And when you feel like God's leading you into something new, maybe you're, you know, going to join a ministry group, or you're, you know, you know something's shifting in your life. Make sure you're letting God lead you to people, so that you can respect those lines. Even in churches, there's there's a structure in place, there's some authority in place to facilitate ministry. There's a healthy protocol to getting things going. And thankfully, verses two and three tell us Paul got the endorsement he was looking for. Look again with me at, at verse um, verse two, kind of the last part of verse two. He says, "I wanted to make sure that we were all in agreement, for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing." And they supported me, uh, which you know, which is awesome. That's what Paul was looking for. And I think it's possible that Paul was bracing for a bit of a fight. Like he went in not really knowing what he was up against because he sounds surprised when he says, you know, they didn't even get asked Titus to get circumcised and nobody was more relieved than Titus. Trust me. Right? And, 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 you know, you've got this moment of like, okay, I did it the right way. Phew. They endorsed me. They gave me the thumbs up. And, and really thankfully, as we said earlier, the Jerusalem church leaders approved And endorsed Paul while recognizing his ministry was going to be very different from theirs. They were sort of locally based, reaching out maybe to the Jewish, different Jewish believers that were, or Jewish people that were coming to the city and they were sharing the gospel with them. Paul was a sent out person going to the Gentiles, traveling around and and doing it that way. And um, so it was very different, but they recognized it and they were okay with that. It's powerful, which leads to the third leading. And that's this led by grace to passion. So he was led by grace to place, to people, and now he was led by grace to passion. What do I mean by that? Well, God, Paul was rock-solid committed to the gospel of grace. Verse 4 recounts that some so-called Christians, he calls them so-called Christians, false ones, really, infiltrated their meetings and they were up to no good. And Paul says in, in verse 4, they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. It's funny, coming from Paul, who had been, you know, a super devout Jew. But Paul was, here's the great thing. Paul was smart enough not to try to negotiate his way through this. He didn't, well, didn't try to make any deals with these people. He was so singularly led in his passion that that, that for the gospel that he, he gives this response. Verse 5, he says, We refuse to give in to them for even a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. We were holding on to it. So, you know, it would be like this. Like, we, ha- we know what our mission is, and we're not going to compromise. We know what our calling is. It would be like, you know, if KFC called up, uh, you know, In-N-Out and said, Hey, you guys need to start doing chicken burgers. Hey, you need to start doing, you know, chicken fingers. What would In-N-Out say? No, we do a hamburger. We do a cheeseburger. We do a double cheeseburger. And then all the extra things on the secret menu that you can ask for. Whether either some variation of the burger, triple burger, quadruple burger, quintuple burger, whatever it is, right? Oh, and French fries and a milkshake. Some of you are so glad that the fast is ending today because tomorrow you're going to go for a burger, fries and a milkshake in, in and out. You need to understand, like, there's this singular focus. I shared with the first service today that, you know, when Becky and I were church planning, we would sometimes have Christians who would come and kind of demand that our church would add this or that ministry or this or that program to what we were doing. And I remember a young family threatened us, you know, we've got high schoolers, and if you don't have a youth group, we're not coming to your church. I'm like, well, we don't have a youth group right now. And we're developing people and we're we're singularly focused on laying a foundation for this church first. We were a church of 500 people before we had a youth group. You think that's crazy. No, it wasn't. We knew what our mission was. We knew what we were called to do and we stayed on that and as God brought the right people, man, that church developed an amazing youth group. But in God's timing, as God led for that to happen. So we got to understand and particularly around the gospel, particularly around your faith, you know, the question is, do you have strong convictions about your faith and what you believe, what you know to be true? Are you finding ways to support that and feed that and, and build you up in your understanding of your own faith? Uh, you know, a clear sense of who you are, a clear comprehension of what is your calling? What is your purpose? What is God leading you to do? You need to you need to get a hold of that. You need to ask God to help you clarify that, understand it more. See, Paul knew he was called to preach this good news of God's grace to the Gentiles, period. That was his calling. I'm called to preach the good news. Pure grace gospel to the Gentiles. And so he was led by grace to place and to people and to passion. Listen, you get those figured out. You get your place, your people and your passion figured out. You are unstoppable. You're on fire. Nothing's going to hold you back. You get that figured out. But I can't leave it there without some warnings because there are some risks attached to these things. To You know, when you follow where grace leads you, there are some pitfalls. And the first is this. The risk with place is that you're going to step into something vulnerable, something unknown, potentially something dangerous, right? Listen. I don't know if you know this, but there is no such thing as safety. There is no such thing as safety. It's a myth. Now, you can mitigate risk. We've got a we've got some seating in the back of the auditorium for friends on, online. We have some special reserve seating in the back where, you know, are required absolutely through the service. Uh, once you enter that zone, you have to leave through the other exit doors. I mean, we we've really tried to. We call it the safe zone, but that's not really true. I can't promise that you're safe. It's safer. I don't know. Someone said we should invert it and have all the party people back there and make it the danger zone. Thought, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. There's a theme song to go with that. Just play a little Top Gun playing on the background or something. But, uh, you know, you safety is, it's a nice idea. But if it's it's a myth. I mean, think, I'm going to keep stepping on toes. Let's go for it. Think about the people that you've known that have, have been diagnosed with COVID-19. I my, my observation has been, and some of you in this room, you've been through this, the folks that I know that have had COVID-19 were some of the most cautious, careful people that I know. And they still got it because a virus goes viral. And I'm not saying don't take precautions. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not saying be reckless. You know, put your seatbelt on when you get in your car. Don't say, oh, I'm a free person. I don't even wear my seatbelt. Just put on the seatbelt, right? Like, be smart about it, but I'm just telling you, if you live, you know, with this priority in your life of saying, you know, everything, my my number one goal is to be safe. I'm telling you, you're going to have a hard time living by faith if you're, if you make, let me say it, if you make an idol of safety. You'll have a hard time living by faith if you make an idol of safety. So just live. Take good precautions, but just live. Okay? So that, that, that's one of the risks uh, of place. It might be dangerous. Um, Paul could have been completely torn up in Jerusalem, completely destroyed. He, he could have been ignored, rejected, slandered, gaslighted, right? I mean, they could have come up with all kinds of stuff against him. It was a risk for Paul to go to Jerusalem and meet with those Jewish leaders. What if they had said, Paul, we do not endorse you. Don't you ever come back to the city. You're done. He he ran that risk. Uh, But he lived with this conviction of being called by God, loved by God, led by God, which means he could go where God led him, when God led him, how God led him. And that was good, which leads to the second pitfall, this risk of people. There's a risk of place, but there's a risk of people as well. Paul submitted to the leadership uh, of that church. And these were people he didn't know very well. He says, well, they had a good reputation as great leaders, but Hey, what do I know? God has no favorites. So that doesn't actually mean anything to me. So, you know, sometimes you're going to be asked to work with somebody or work for somebody or train somebody that, that honestly, you know, you're taking a chance on them. And they, they might let you down. They might stab you in the back. It's a risk. People are a risk, but you do it anyway. You move forward anyway. And that's why, you know, we want to be more like Peter and James and John, supportive, encouraging, right? Positive, empowering, all those good things. It never ceases to amaze me how two people can look at the same situation or sit in the same meeting or same church service, same watch the same thing on TV, whatever it is. And one person says, wow, that was amazing. That was so cool. I just loved it. And the other person says, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe what happened. I mean, you'll have the, the person with the gift of, of compliments and the person with the gift of criticism in the same room. And I don't understand how that works. Be the person with the gift of criticism. Sorry. Don't be that person. Be the person with the gift of compliments, right? And here's what I've observed. I've, I've observed this. When, when there's someone who lives to encourage, to bless, to build up, to compliment, I've, I've watched their life is blessed with vitality, strength, you know, just kind of enthusiasm, fresh ideas, you know, youthfulness even it is just an amazing how god blesses that um i love using i don't know if my my parents are watching today they might be but i like using my parents as an example in this my dad is four weeks away from being 91 my mom's 87 and you know they're active they're out walking every day they're you know my dad sings and you know for public events and and they're just they're just they're thriving and it's and that's my observation because they've always sought to Endorse others, build them up, support them, encourage them, you know, bless them. And, and God's blessing them with vitality and long life. Anyway, there's one more risk, and that's the risk of passion. And I think this is the biggest risk of all. Paul's passion was to preserve the integrity of the gospel message. And yet he had these enemies that were kind of pushing back on him, trying to get him off track. Uh, They wanted the Gentile Christians to be more Jewish. That was their goal. And yet Paul said, no. He stood firm. He said, no, I'm not going there. Uh, You know, he says, they they were trying to get us to include all these regulations. And and there are always going to be temptations to get you off passion, especially in matters of faith, especially in matters... Of faith, So listen, I, as long as I'm stepping on toes today, let's go a little further. Uh, you know, you're told sometimes that, you know, okay, well, it's okay to believe the gospel, right? But you just need to add a little more of this or that you just need to be more, just need to be more woke. You just need to be, you know, more into social justice causes. You just need to be more affirming of, you know, whatever you feel on the social issue. Just add that, and and that makes you a better Christian. Or you just need to be more apologetic for who you are, or, or or how you've been raised. Or you you just need to be more offended by men, or you just need to be, you know, more tolerant of abortion. Just kind of widen your stance. Come on. That's the temptation to to get you off your passion and off your clarity and simplicity of the gospel. Whatever it is that you're being told needs to be added for you to be a better Christian. Careful, if it's not from God's word, if it's not the gospel of grace, you're being led away from your passion. It's a distraction. And And obviously, listen, church, obviously we're called and we want to be and it's our desire and our effort to be more loving to people on the fringes and people on the outside. And I want to be more, I do not expect... Christian, righteous, godly, biblical behavior from somebody who's not following Jesus, not for a moment. I'm not gonna place that on them. And I wanna be, I wanna grow in my love for people who aren't like me, who disagree with me, who push back at me, who offend me, who you know, whatever. I want to grow in my love for those people. God sent Jesus to die because God loved the whole world, every person. And I want to grow in my love and capacity to love people on the outside. But you need to understand when I'm told, well, you just need to be more of this or more of that so that you can be a better Christian. You're, you're being distracted from the passion of the gospel, this simple message. Listen, here's, here's one I want you to get and I, this isn't from me, I got this from someone else, but it's been so helpful for me to understand. When you're being pulled in to love the things that God hates, it leads you to hate the things that God loves. When you're drawn to love the things that God hates, you're going to find your heart begins to hate the things and hate the people that God loves. Careful, careful. We want to love what God loves so that we can love whom God loves. I'm going to invite the worship team back. If you guys wouldn't mind, um, they're going to prepare to lead us in one one more song. Um, I, I just want to say this. You know, if you're following Jesus sincerely, you are going to love or grow in love for the people around you. Even those with whom you disagree or those... Who get under your skin, or that you know that customer who just you just want to lock the door when they're approaching the building, or that student in the classroom who just just knows how to push your buttons every single day? You just think, and as you yield your life, Jesus, I actually want to be more like you, like in that song we you know this song, more like Jesus, Uh, Lord. As you do that in my own life. I want to grow in love for those people in, in, in the, in, who are in those situations, especially those who are spiritually lost without Jesus. But stick to your passion for the gospel of grace. Because that's the only answer for them. That's the only way they can be set free from sin, from false gods, from legalism, right? From self-righteousness. Only Jesus is the only answer for all those things. He wants them, God wants them to find grace and truth in Jesus Christ. You remember 1 Timothy 2 says, it's God's desire that everyone would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's God's desire. And so... Obviously, we want to grow in those ways, but don't let it lead you off your passion, your core commitment to the good news of the gospel, of God's grace. So, how about it? As you head into this fresh week, how about this? How about letting God lead you, seeking for God to lead you, led by grace into a place, led by grace to people, led by grace passion regardless of the risk regardless of of what's unsafe regardless of opposition or criticism to say god i want to be led by your grace day by day hour by hour moment by moment so i can be in those places with those people that you have called for me to be with be around be in those situations those moments Being a blessing, bringing the good news of Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? Can you imagine if, if we as God's people, we just, we just scattered through the, through the city this week, just led by God, led, you know, this person needs prayer and you, you pray for that person. This person needs a joke and you're able to tell them something funny. This person needs a hug and you're able to give them a socially distanced, safe, mask covered hug or whatever it is you gotta give them. Wouldn't that be amazing? And that person say, wow, I just I experienced the love of God this week because you were led to place, to person, to passion. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you that, uh, you do lead us and you desire to lead us. And Lord, I, I confess I'm a bit of a stubborn mule oftentimes and I like to go my own way. And God, I want to be someone who's led by you better and better, uh, day by day. I thank you for Paul's conviction of the gospel lord we sit here today because paul and others held to the gospel message lord we want to love the people that don't get it yet or the people who don't see things our way or the people who are living in in lost and without you we want to grow in our love for them but we don't want to miss this truth that jesus you are the answer you are the only way forward for our lives thank you for your presence here in this place in your name we pray Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.